Hello, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Dr. Mark White, and today I'm going to tell you a story. It's a story about trauma, fear, and taking control of one's life and really owning your situation. But it's not at first what it seems. The title is Karate and Neck Pain. What could go wrong? Our story begins with a patient we will call Myrtle. Myrtle was referred to me for her chronic neck pain. Myrtle was a robust woman in her 50s with a kind of stoutness one acquires from heavy manual labor, accompanied by plenty of good meals. She worked in a tool shop for oil well equipment. Her days were filled with moving heavy things from one place to another. That mostly meant lifting 50 to 70 pounds at a time from pallets of crated tools and equipment and moving them to specialized shipping containers to be sent to different oil fields around the country. She was proud of her work and her strength. She was funny in an offhand, good-natured sort of way, and she loved pancakes, especially with chocolate chips, fresh strawberries, and whipped cream. We will get to why that's important later. She also enjoyed smoking and swearing in great abundance, both of which she did with excellent fluency whenever the opportunity presented. And both of those habits developed later in life, after marriage, 25 years ago. We will get to why that's important later, too. Lately, because of her rising levels of pain, her fits of smoking and swearing were increasing in vigor, duration, and creativity. She had waxing and waning symptoms for about 10 years by the time I saw her. The last three were the worst. There were no radiating symptoms, no loss of DTRs, etc., just neck pain with occasional headache pain. Closer questioning revealed her resting pain level was a 3 on a 0 to 10 scale, and her worst was 8 at the end of a workday. Her husband would bring her a hot pack and a beer in the evening after work. And that was a ritual for the last three years. Materials handling occupations are among the worst for being associated with the development of neck pain complaints, and smoking only made things worse. Smoking more than a handful of cigarettes in a day is enough to slow or even shut down for a time critical cellular metabolic activity in a dose-dependent manner. Cells in the intervertebral disc complex particularly deteriorate faster, recover slower, or are stunted in recovery potential. I'm not going into great detail for the physical exam, but some highlights. Her cervical spine mobility was, globally, about 60% of normal. Her force production in the cervical spine isometrics was a little over 70%. But I was seeing her on a day off and early in the day, so this may have positively impacted her score. Her cervical spine compression load tolerance was only about 60% of normal as well, and she experienced complete symptom ablation with unloading. These scores are not unusual for what is clearly DDD and DJD of the cervical spine. Or, if you prefer, osteoarthritis of the cervical spine. Patients in my practice with these findings respond well to a clinic-based treatment program that utilizes, in brief, load-controlled exercise activity. I expected an unremarkable recovery that would follow a typical recovery curve over a certain number of visits to achieve an excellent outcome. That's an endpoint of self-report recovery that is between 90 to 100% of normal. We've abundantly documented how we manage these problems and what we see clinically, so our prep for treatment was minimal and uncomplicated. 
we scheduled a number of visits and commenced treatment. Everything started out well, just as we anticipated, and Myrtle made progress. However, at our first reevaluation, her numbers from the objective exam and subjective scores did not match the expected trajectory of recovery. She was scoring lower than expected in every category. Still, she was improving, and normal variation among individual patients is expected. But her scores were at the bottom of the range we would expect. Not a clear danger signal, but a signal nonetheless that her recovery was going to take longer than average. Maybe the decades of smoking were showing their pernicious effects. Maybe her continued work was knocking her back a step for every two steps forward. We adjusted our treatment as necessary and continued. At our second reevaluation, her scores still showed some improvement, but they were even less impressive. The third reevaluation was similarly unimpressive, but still showed gains. This was unusual even for our smokers. Three aggregated data points is enough to spot a trend, and hers projected recovery about eight weeks beyond what we originally estimated. A subset of patients undergoing any type of healthcare treatment are what is uncreatively known as slow responders. True slow responders may be rare. Most likely, slow responder patients are simply undergoing suboptimal treatments that are not well matched to their needs. It was even possible that some patients, including Myrtle, would reach an endpoint where continued advancement in recovery simply stops. There are many proposed reasons for this, and most are speculative. Still, in our observations, it is remarkable how much abuse the human body can take from a variety of things people do to them, including smoking, alcoholism, and other modifiable, think avoidable, risk factors. Even the big unmodifiable one, age, is not completely limiting. Our oldest patient, a 105-year-old woman with cervical spine pain, still recovered at a pace different and faster than Myrtle. Clearly, something was blocking her recovery. We just didn't know what it was. Until one day. Myrtle arrived for treatment as usual. We prepped her for treatment as usual. Except this morning, the window blinds were open. Normally, they were closed because the sunlight was often intense and bothersome for some patients. Across the parking lot, Myrtle spotted another business, a karate studio. I took karate, she said. My ears perked up. I've studied and practiced American freestyle karate for years and a number of other martial arts. Tell me about it, I said. Well, when I first got married, we didn't have a lot of money. Most young people don't, you know. I love my husband. We've been married 25 years. And I loved treating myself to chocolate chip strawberry-covered pancakes with whipped cream. Except that was an expensive indulgence. I made that mistake once, and my husband beat me. Now, at this point, internal alarm bells go off, my healthcare provider rules radar springs to life, and legal questions swirl. Is this still happening? She got married 25 years ago. She just said she loved her husband. He brings her a hot pack and a beer in the evening after a hard day's work. There must be more to this story. I decided it was prudent to just listen. I knew my husband worked hard. He was trying to be a good provider, but he had a temper, she said. I knew we needed the extra money, 
It would help out so much. So I got a job, only he didn't like me working. When he found out I'd been working, he beat me. She said it also matter-of-factly, like it wasn't a big deal, except that it was. In some instances, I would label this pathological, but this felt different. An air of detached indifference can be a sign of disassociation, if traumatic memories are too difficult to deal with without first stripping them of their emotional content. Only the facts remain. This is a style of coping mechanism for dealing with trauma. I didn't like the idea of more beatings. I had enough of those. So I decided, okay, after he goes to work, I'll go to work. I'll get a job that lets me work while he's at the plant, and I'll be back home before he gets off, and I'll have dinner ready, and he won't know a thing. So that's what I did. I worked part-time jobs, and I saved my money. I listened. At the time, I couldn't see where this was going, but I knew it's often psychotherapeutically beneficial for patients to get their story out, the real story behind the story. All you had to do was listen, without judgment. A physician I know calls this talk therapy. The patient talks. We listen. If patients felt safe, unpressured, and have a good working therapeutic alliance, they will sometimes open up to you in ways that are remarkable, important, and necessary. And you know what I did? Myrtle continued. I shook my head. I took karate lessons. It took me five years to do it, working part-time and all, but I did it, and one day, after he got home from work and he found out I'd been working, he came to beat me, and I beat the hell out of him. She paused, then added, Boy, was he surprised. We came to an understanding. He never raised a hand to me again. The first five years were rough, but it's been smooth sailing ever since. And that was that. Except it was more. From that moment forward, Myrtle's progress in her musculoskeletal treatment program to fix her neck accelerated. Recovery normally proceeds in stages. It is nonlinear, and we can mark changes by observing particular features in the battery of tests that we use. In Myrtle's case, her recovery progress was off the charts. Instead of completing treatment in eight more weeks as projected, based on her last re-examination data, she completed it in two. All the subjective and objective physical measures returned to normal. Myrtle made an excellent recovery, in more ways than one. Time to reflect. About the trauma, Myrtle's neck pain was ostensibly the main issue, but it clearly was not the only issue. She had no acute mechanical trauma to her cervical spine. Sure, she probably overstressed it with repetitive strain because of the type of work that she did, and she might have recovered in the eight additional weeks that was projected, or she might have stopped progressing. But the real trauma was elsewhere. Fear. Myrtle didn't really appear to have any at least not to begin with. But as her story came into better focus, the story behind the story emerged. Twenty-five years ago, she feared offending her husband's sensibility as a provider. 
She feared her husband's beatings. She feared being trapped in a bad marriage. She feared striking out on her own. She feared not being in control of her life. About taking control of one's life and owning your situation. Myrtle did that. She decided a long time ago she really did love her husband, and he loved her. He had some issues, everybody does, but their problems as a couple, she decided they were worth solving. To hear her tell it, it was the right move. Looming large over all this, however, was the surprising and unexpectedly powerful impact of psychology. We understand it is inseparably pervasive, infused throughout every patient and every patient encounter. And in most cases, it isn't really a problem. But in this case, even though it wasn't the problem, it was a problem. A problem, so it appears, that was blocking recovery. Once she psychologically unburdened herself, her physical condition resumed improving when it had been slowing down. I wonder how many other patients like Myrtle we all see every day. Patients who are invisibly anchored to past trauma by the unbearable weight of psychology. And how many could be free of it if we just listened. I'm Dr. Mark White. That concludes our story for now. And as always, may you and your patients be well. Thanks for listening.